Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. This morning we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3. And if you're opening up your Bible on your device, it's easy to cheat and just use the drop-down menu. If you're actually finding Lamentations in the book, then you want to go past Psalms and Isaiah and Jeremiah and we'll be in Lamentations chapter 3. And as we prepare to open up God's Word together, let's ask for God's help. Our God, as we open up your word now, we simply ask you in the name of Jesus, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For thy dear son, Jesus' sake, amen. Between us and heaven or hell is only this life. And this life is the most fragile thing in the universe. We all go through our days thinking that this world and all of our plans down here are big and solid and sure and that God and heaven and hell are sort of ethereal and not quite certain. But we have our certainty and our uncertainty utterly reversed. The opposite is the case. This life is the most uncertain of things. And God, our dwelling place and eternity is more certain than anything. This message this morning out of Lamentations chapter 3 could be called certainty and uncertainty or uncertainty and certainty. We have or should have uncertainty about our plans We have or should have by now uncertainty about our money and our health and our life and our everything. But we should have, and by God's grace, even in these moments, we will have certainty about the steadfast character of God. Uncertainty and certainty. This situation that our church, our nation, even the whole world is in right now is so strange and so unprecedented and so fluid and so uncertain. More than once, more than twice or three or four times in the last nine days, we've huddled together as elders or pastors and we've talked about what should we do? How can we minister to the membership of the church? How can we worship Jesus together? And we prayed and actually put plans on the drawing board when the government protocols were at 250, then when they were at 50, and then they changed to 10. And all these plans and, and ideas that we have end up utterly and completely uncertain. Uncertainty and certainty. When we realized that we weren't going to be able to be together, we immediately sort of made a list of everybody in our church membership who's perhaps particularly vulnerable, those over 65, those in difficult living situations, and we divvied that up and we tried among the pastoral staff to call all of them. And so I I got to talk to lots of our members in the last, say, three or four or five days. I talked to one older gentleman and uh, he said, He said, I'm old, and I didn't think anything could surprise me anymore, but this event has surprised me. 
And as we were talking on the phone, I just said to him the same thing I'll say to you right now. Listen, listen, God has never experienced surprise. Our God, the eternally existent one, has never been surprised. God has never said, whoa, that escalated faster than I thought it would. God has never said, whoo, I didn't see that one coming. God has never scrambled to change his plans. How many times have your plans changed this week? Mine have changed dozens of times. God's plans don't change. Even this morning, even right now in this instant, you're not where you expected to be. I'm actually probably the only one of us who's where he expected to be. I expected to be behind this pulpit at, on Sunday morning at this hour. But I expected to see all of you here. And I, I don't see any of you. None of us is quite where we expected to be. Lamentations is a book about certainty in the middle of uncertainty. And we'll look together this morning at Lamentations chapter three. The book of Lamentations is a poem. The book of Lamentations is a theological, poetical meditation on crisis and uncertainty, on God and the certainty of his promises. This poem and this book of theological reflection comes around 586, 587 BC, the year that Babylon's army invaded Judah and Jerusalem. And probably the year 586, 587 doesn't mean that much to you, but it meant everything to the Jewish people in the times of scripture. It would be like December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor. It would be like September 11th, 2001, the Twin Towers. It would be like spring of 2020 and COVID-19. So Jeremiah is looking at an empty city. City of Jerusalem was destroyed. The walls came down. The temple that should have been filled with the praises of God's people was empty. I'm not the only one who was out looking at our little city this week, all the taverns, all the restaurants, all the businesses. And this morning, like I said, you expected to be here in this sanctuary. I'm actually here. And I'm just looking at how unexpectedly empty it is. God's people should be here right now, according to my plan. We should be singing the songs of Zion. We should be greeting each other joyously, and we can't quite do that. We are not where we expected to be. Life is very uncertain, but God and his promises and eternity is more certain than anything we could imagine. And so as we consider certainty and uncertainty, let's look at Lamentations chapter three together. We'll begin and read verses one through nine. Lamentations three, verse one. I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. 
He has driven and brought me into darkness rather than light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I can't escape, and he has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone, and he has made my paths crooked. Verse 7 actually sounds like a quarantine. He has walled me about. I cannot escape. And in the Hebrew poetry there, it says, he has made my chains heavy. It's as if he's saying, God put me in a six by six cell. And so that I couldn't pace the walls of the cell, he put these heavy chains over me so I couldn't even walk in this little dungeon cell that I'm in. In verse eight, it says, though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Who wouldn't be honest enough to say that sometimes you were sure about what you needed and you asked God for it and it seems that he shut it up and didn't give you that for which you asked. Let's keep reading in verses 10 through 20 of Lamentations 3. Listen to verse 10. It's actually talking toward God and it says, he's like a bear lying in wait for me, like a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and he tore me to pieces and he's made me desolate and he bent his bow and he set a target for his arrow and he drove it into my kidney, the arrow of his quiver. I became like a laughing stock of all the peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace and I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance is perished. So is my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, my wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and it is bowed down within me. You know, our Lord Jesus was often compared to Jeremiah in his weeping and in his suffering. And you can hear that here in this text You know the feeling of verse 17? My soul is bereft of peace. And look at that second line, the second half of the Hebraic parallelism in the poetry in verse 17. The lowest of the lowest of the darkest point is when you don't just say I'm unhappy, but you say I've forgotten what it's like to go to a party. I've forgotten what rejoicing and happiness even is. And then we take a turn in verse 21. Look at verse 21, church. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Look with me at verses 21, 22, 23, and 24. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are are new every, every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. These are some solid verses about which we ought to be certain, no matter the uncertainty around us. In fact, verse 21 is the recipe for certainty in the midst of uncertainty. You see what it says? But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The way to have certainty in the midst of uncertainty is to stop listening to yourself and stop listening to the circumstances around you and to start speaking the truths of the faith of the gospel and the truths of the character of God to yourself. See, in verse 21, Jeremiah, the poet, stops listening to himself and he starts speaking to himself. He stops reacting based on how he feels and he starts acting based on what he knows by faith to be true. How much time do we spend reacting based on feeling the way we feel? And how much time do we spend believing what we know to be true? You see, if we listen to ourselves and we listen to our feelings, we end up going one way. But if we talk to ourselves about God and we talk to God about his unshakable certain character, we end up going a different direction. What you feel is what you feel. The circumstances around you, they are what they are, or at least your grasp on them is what it is. But what do you believe? What do you believe? And do you listen to yourself or do you speak the words of the faith within your very soul? This I called to mind. Therefore, I have hope. There are uncertainties within us and there are uncertainties surrounding us, but there are certainties. There is a singular certainty in God and in his character. Listen, this, if there was ever a time for this word at this time, this is like, this is like the reality behind everything that I've ever tried to say from this pulpit. And that is simply this, that God's truth is not dependent on our current circumstances and God's truth is not dependent on our current feelings. We'll feel what we feel. And our grasp on the circumstances around us or the way the circumstances around us buffet us is what it is. Circumstances are what they are and feelings are what they are. But what do we believe and have we anchored our hope in God? This I call to mind. I call it to mind. I don't react to it. I call it to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Certainly, Amy and I are not the only ones who multiple, I mean multiple times this week, we turned off the TV and we put our phones away. I was going to say we threw them against the wall. We wanted to, but we didn't. And we shut that down and we got on our knees and we prayed. 
It's, it's not going to make a blip of difference if I get the latest update in another eight seconds or another eight hours. What, what is, is. And circumstances are what they are. But in the middle of all of those uncertainties, we have to say, this I call to mind, the certainty of who God is. We've been making these little videos and posting them on the website about just in an effort to keep communicating with each other. And one of the first, maybe the first one that I made, it was about reading five Psalms a day. And I was pretty adamant in that little video about you got to do this first thing in the day. Because we all know that if we miss that anchoring time in the scriptures and that anchoring time with God and we start our day just sort of submerged in the circumstances and the feelings and the reactions, then we just kind of blubble down there and we never make it back up to the surface. You feel what you feel and you'll experience what you experience, but you've got to believe what you believe. And from verse 21 We come down, don't we, to verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Jeremiah was not where he expected to be when he penned those words. Jeremiah was looking at an empty temple. Jeremiah, with tears in his eyes, was thinking, All of God's people should be singing the praises of God in this place and it's empty. And yet what he says is, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In a circumstantial way, it almost would have been true for him to say the destruction here doesn't seem to ever cease and the sorrow here doesn't seem to ever cease. He felt what he felt and the circumstances were what they were, but in faith, he called out to the unchanging certain character of God and he said the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That is that awesome Hebrew word chesed and it means, uh, it, it, it doesn't just mean good, it means a covenant keeping faithfulness where God will never be untrue, God will never be surprised, and God will never break his word. The certainty of our God. And man, would you look at verse 24. I, I can't get over what verse 24 has done in my own life this week. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. You understand what that means, don't you? If you're a person who says physical safety is my portion, uncertainty is your lot. If you are a person, if we are a church who says financial well-being is our portion, then all we have is uncertainty. But if I'm a man, if we are a church who says from the depth of our soul, the Lord is my portion, then whatever my lot, whatever I lose, whatever happens, I will hope in him. Uncertainty and certainty 
When will we learn that if our hopes are pinned on what is uncertain, we are hopeless people? But if our hopes are pinned on the only one who is certain, our God who is good, our God whose steadfast covenant-keeping love never fails, if our hopes are pinned on him, then we have sure hope no matter what. Verse 21, 22, 23, and 24, so strong. But doesn't even end there. In the Hebrew poetry, actually the word good, the word good begins verse 25, verse 26, and verse 27. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And we can continue the reading down through 28. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men so to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit. The Lord does not approve. And then if you're still with me in verse 37, 38, and 39, verses 37, 38, and 39 form the fulcrum of this poem because each presents a rhetorical question that is meant to elevate us out of every uncertainty that has already been lamented here and anchor us to the certainties of who God is. So here are these three questions. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come forth? Why should a living man complain about the punishment of his sins? Now the translation of verse 39 says, what living mortal has the right to complain in light of our sinfulness? These three questions in verse 37 and 38 and 39. And then you see the response in verse 40. Let us test and examine our ways and let us return to the Lord, verse 40. Let us lift up our hearts. Let us lift up our hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. And so ends verse 42. We see those three questions in 37, 38, and 39. And those rhetorical questions emphasize the unconditional absolutely certain sovereignty of God. And those verses emphasize our state before him. You see verse 37, who has spoken and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. We say all sorts of things, but it is only the Lord God whose word forms the world. Listen to what the word of God does. Listen to Psalm 33, verse four. 
Psalm 33, verse four, the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Psalm 33, verses six through 12, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to pass. He commanded and it stands firm. Listen, the Lord brings all of the counsel of all of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart stand to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his heritage. God and only God speaks and what he speaks comes to pass. God is in control. And one of the things that verse 37 of Lamentations 3 says is that no Babylonian, no American, no scientist, no politician, no one can speak and have something come to pass unless God sovereignly ordains and allows it. God's in control. No one can speak and act without God's permission. In these verses, especially there in verse 38, where it says, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and evil come, or that both good and bad come? That verse, verse 38, doesn't attribute moral evil to the character of God. I trust we understand that in our doctrine of God and of his goodness. God is not to be blamed for the morally evil actions of angels and men. Moral evil comes through that human agency or even through that demonic agency so that the humans and the demons are responsible for their moral evil. But make no mistake, these verses state that no one, no Adam, no virus, no demon, no person can do or say anything without God's sovereign permission. The Hebrew of Verse 38, is it not from the mouth of the Lord God that both good and evil come? You know where you've heard that? The exact same Hebrew construction is in the book of Job. Job 1 and verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in Job 2, when everything crashed around him and even his own family, even his own wife said, we can't trust God, just curse God. Job said in Job 2, verse 10, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Church, either we believe in God who is in absolute control, or we do not. And church, we believe, we believe that our God is in the heavens and in all that he does, he, he, all that he does, he, he, he does all that he pleases. God is infinitely wise in ways that we cannot comprehend. And you do know this, don't you? God is always doing 10,000 more things than we could ever comprehend. God is in control of more than we could ever know about. And God is always doing all things for his glory. 
God knows the present, God knows the future, and God is on the throne of the universe. I don't know how many people asked me this week, well, how long are we going to be separated from each other? When are we going to be able to gather together again as a church? Well, I don't know. I don't have, I don't have the faintest idea. I'm wondering that, and you're wondering that. Hear me. God is not wondering. God is not guessing. God is certain. God is certain. In the middle of all of our uncertainties, God is certain. Uncertainty and certainty. And I tell you, verse 39, did you catch verse 39? Verse 39 gives us a strangely humbling truth about which we should be certain. Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? The human response to uncertain circumstances can never rightly be complaint in the sense of, hey, God, uh, you wronged me. Not if I understand two words, me and God. How could I ever say that God wronged me? How could I ever say to God, God, you didn't give me what I deserve. If God gave me what my sins deserve, I mean, link verse 39 back to verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. My sins are many. And if I got what I deserved for my sins, there would be no rightful complaint. I would have to place my mouth in the mud. But though my sins are many, his mercies are more. I've sinned and the wages of my sin are death. So earthly death is, is expected. Did you know that when Jeremiah wrote Lamentations 3, I don't know exactly how common it was, but just put it like this. It was not uncommon for you to get a cut from a knife or from something as you're out and about and for that cut to kill you because there was no medicine like we have it. There were no antibiotics. There weren't all the advances that we've enjoyed. And we have so many advances that now we all walk around thinking that we are owed a certain life, a, a, a certain and sure life. But we aren't. There's that famous C.S. Lewis line that he wrote during World War II. What does war do to death? It certainly does not make it more frequent. 100% of us die, and that is a percentage that cannot be increased. But we die because the wages of sin is death. So how could we blame God for being unfair? We may not like the circumstances. I don't like the fact that we can't be together in church. But uh, I never deserved to be in this church for a moment. Have you? 
if God gave us what we deserved, none of us would have been invited to the feast. But Jesus laid the table with his own body and by pouring out his own blood. And he said to us, come and drink and come and eat without money and without price. How could I ever complain for the rest of eternity upon eternity? How could I ever complain? Why should a living man complain? God's mercy is new every morning. And then we'll just end with verses 40 and 41 and 42. See verse 40, let us test and examine our ways and let us return to the Lord. Verse 40 gives us two steps to take in time of peril. Verse 40 gives us two steps to take in uncertain times. And here they are, a serious consideration of ourselves and a sincere conversion toward God. A serious consideration of ourselves. Verse 40a, let us test and examine our ways. A serious consideration of ourselves. And verse 40b, and return to the Lord. A sincere conversion to God. Verse 41, worship, heartfelt worship. Let us lift up our hands to God in heaven. And then it's almost strange what verse 42 says. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. In the historical context of Jeremiah, he warned them, repent of your sins or Babylon will invade and and you'll be cut off. And because Judah never repented, her sins weren't forgiven in that sense, but rather the captivity came as a judgment upon her. In the historical context of the unfolding of Israel's history is why it says you have not forgiven. But in the fullness of the redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation, old covenant to new covenant, we could almost, we could almost add the word yet. Jeremiah didn't put it in there, but we read Jeremiah knowing of the true Jeremiah, the true weeping prophet, Jesus, who took our place. And we know that now in Jesus, we see the fullness of the gospel, which simply leads me to you. Heaven and hell are right there. And the only thing keeping you from them is this life. And this life is the most uncertain thing in the world. Are you prepared for heaven? Are you prepared for death? Are you saved? In this time of seeing life and death, we all must realize who we are and who God is. Physical death is the consequence of spiritual death, which came because we sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The good news of the gospel is that death and sin were conquered by Jesus Christ. Listen to the simple declaration of the gospel in Romans 5. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrated his own love, his steadfast love, his new every morning faithful love. God demonstrated his love toward us chiefly in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. 
The certainty is that the wages of sin is death. But the certainty is that Jesus died at the place of the skull, Golgotha. And the certainty is that after he died, paying for the sins of all of those who would believe in him, Jesus rose again. And the certainty is that as he lives, so we shall live also. This is the certainty in the middle of a very uncertain life. I mentioned that this week. I mean, what a what an easy thing for us to do. We simply, the pastor simply called through everybody we could think of who was particularly vulnerable. I taught, I made, I don't know, 40 phone calls, 50 phone calls. And um, I can tell you in complete honesty, I did not talk to one member of Racine Bible Church who told me, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to die. I didn't talk to one member who said that because what it means to be a member of the church is to be in Christ. And what it means to be in Christ is that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I had lots of people express fears and of course we do. I have people ask me, well, are we going to be able to hear the choir and get together on Easter? Uh, or, or what are we going to do about our building plans and more room for the youth and the kids? Are we still going to be able to support our missionaries? Are we, you know, the, I had lots of questions and lots of uncertainties. But I don't know any member of the church who is still afraid of death. That fear was taken away by Jesus Christ who took our place. You know, church, between us and heaven or hell is only this life. And this life is the most uncertain, the most fragile thing in the world. But our certainty, our great certainty, is that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end because Christ died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, rose again from the grave, and will very soon come back to take us to be with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, hear your church as they pray. And Lord Jesus, hearing, forgive. And Lord Jesus, hearing, fortify the soul and the heart and the mind. Lord Jesus, hear your children as they pray. And we are no longer orphans. We have your spirit. We have your hope. We have your word. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen us by your word. Strengthen your church. Give us great hope in the gospel through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.